Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. There's been a big reappraisal of the role that the Eastern Woodlands tribes in particular, including the Lenape, play in the genesis of the American Revolution, in the course of the war, and in the aftermath. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Kevin Kahn talking about the Indian origins of the American Revolution. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode was brought to you by Casemate, publishers of The Quaker and the Gamecock, Nathaniel Green, Thomas Sumter, and The Revolutionary War for the South by Andrew Waters. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's show, we'll be talking with Journal of the American Revolution contributor Kevin Kahn about a subject near and dear to my professional heart, the role of Native peoples in the American Revolution. For a long time, I think we fundamentally misunderstood the role of Native Americans when it came to the American Revolution and the massive part that they played in it. And that's because we fundamentally misunderstand the history of North America. The origins of the revolution do not begin in 1776, but 1763, the end of the Great Seven Years' War. It's a war that pitted Britain against France for control of a continent. But it's also a war that was not a mere game of chess, pitting two groups against the other. Native peoples were a third party in what would be and should be seen as a three-way dance. Their revolution, what they fought for, uh, was long. And in many ways, it went all the way from the 1690s into the late 19th century. But in the midst of that, you have all these other major events, the Seven Years' War, the American Revolution, the Northwest Indian War, Lewis and Clark, and so on. As Americans, we can break this down into major events and conflicts. Uh, But for them, the struggle was one long, multi-generational war. So when you hear Kevin Kahn today talk about Pontiac's rebellion, specifically the role of the Lenape and instigating that rebellion and their role in the revolution... Keep that in mind. They're a major player, often left out of the story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Kevin Kahn. Kevin Kahn, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Tell us about your background. Well, I've been a AP U.S. history teacher at Dalbarton School in Morristown, New Jersey um, for... 26 years now, uh, we back up right on to Jockey Hollow, 
uh, where uh, Washington and the Continental Army spent the winter of 1779-80. So in some ways, um, the geography helps to determine my interest. Um, Living in western New Jersey, I've been um, a a living history interpreter uh, with the New Jersey Frontier Guard uh, since about 2011. Now, that's uh, one of the units, the most famous unit that nobody's ever heard of. Um, We were uh, tasked with guarding the Delaware River uh, against uh, Lenape incursions during the Seven Years' War. Uh, From 1756 through 1758, and then again during Pontiac's Rebellion in 1763. Uh, so that's been a large part of my free time and my research, although this paper came out of the Gilder Lehrman and Pace University online um, MA in American History. After 25 years of thinking that, well, college had prepared me for doing my own research, um, I saw some of the uh professors who were going to be leading courses, um, such as uh, Alan Guelzo and David Blight, and I said, well, boy, that sounds interesting. I'd like to take courses with some of these uh, professors. And so I started, and this was a paper that had its genesis as my term paper for a class on American Indian history last summer. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, as I said, doing the uh, New Jersey Frontier Guard um, really has uh, awakened my interest in the mid-17th century, um, in the Lenape in particular. uh, And Pontiac's Rebellion is one of those conflicts that's very little known and not all that well understood, but is really central in provoking the first the first uh, strains of discord between uh, Great Britain and her 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard. And so I decided that this was something I knew some of the outlines of, but wanted to get into in much more detail. Who were the people that called themselves the original people, the Lenny Lenape? Well, the Lenape were a coastal people um, who inhabited the area of um, really southern New York, New Jersey, um, parts of eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Um, In the, well, in the 16th, uh, 17th, and uh, early 18th centuries, um, they became, uh, by the beginning of the 18th century, vassals or subordinate to the Iroquois League. Um, now, of course, most people are familiar, or many people are familiar with the Iroquois League, 
uh, first the five nations, and then during the 18th century, uh, the six nations when the Tuscaroras moved north and uh, joined the League. But the Iroquois were the most powerful native empire in the eastern woodlands, and they dominated from upstate New York uh, out to the the Great Lakes and into the Ohio country and down south with raiding parties going as, as far south as what's today uh, the Carolinas and Georgia. Um, and one of one of what they one of the things they had done was to essentially make um, women out of the uh, Delawares, the Lenape, um, by the late 17th century. Now that meant that it wasn't necessarily pejorative at the beginning, because women had much more valued roles in Indian societies than in European societies of the time, but it did mean that uh, the Delawares or the Lenape were peacemakers, uh, whereas the Iroquois uh, were the political and military leaders uh, for them. What was their role in the Seven Years' War? Well, in, in order to understand where the Lenape uh, come in in the, in the Seven Years' War, you have to really go back to 1737 and the so-called walking purchase. Um, that was um, when Penn's son, William, William and Thomas Penn's, um, had, they were not Quakers. William Penn had gone back uh, to England to uh, deal with financial troubles uh, about 1705 and never returned. Um, and his sons saw the grant of lands in Pennsylvania as much more of an economic uh, opportunity rather than uh, a religious experiment. So uh, William and Thomas either dug up or created out of whole cloth a treaty from the uh, 17th century that Penn had supposedly signed uh, with the Lenape chieftains that gave uh, the right to purchase land uh, along the uh, western edge of the Delaware for as long as a man could walk in a day and a half. And at first, uh, the Lenape were not too happy with that, but with some carefully placed gifts and bribes to the Iroquois nation, the Pens and their agents managed to get the Lenape to agree uh, to the validity of that treaty. But on the assigned day for the walk, rather than walking for a day and a half, uh, the Pens and their agents had cleared uh, a path, and the three men supposedly walking it instead ran uh, and carved off a huge area uh, along the Delaware uh, from which they said they were going to uh, kick the, the Lenape out. Uh, when the Lenape refused to leave, uh, a few well-placed bribes to the Iroquois um, 
caused the Iroquois to come down and inform the Delaware. Um, well, as the Onondaga chieftain Canisetego put it, you ought to be taken by the hair of the head and shaked severely. We conquered you. We made women of you. You know you're a woman and can no more sell land than women. And the might of the Iroquois League uh, forced the Lenape to move west into um, central Pennsylvania. But 20 years later, as the Seven Years' War began, um, you know, with George Washington's um, short siege at Fort Necessity after ambushing the, the French at Jumonville's Glen, the Iroquois hold over their allies or vassals was really shaky, mostly because of disease epidemics that had lessened the number and the power of the Iroquois. So the Lenape joined with the French, and from 1755 onward, really raided in through uh, central and eastern Pennsylvania, back into the area of that walking purchase, and crossed the Delaware, and in 1755-1756, killed some 30 people in northwestern New Jersey, in what are today Sussex and Warren counties. Um, then it was all Sussex County, and caused most of the population to flee from western New Jersey back as far as Morristown in northern central New Jersey, and some as far as uh, Elizabethtown, or Elizabeth as it's now known. And uh, the Lenape kept the Pennsylvania frontier uh, in a tumult under chieftains such as Shingas um, for about three years until the Treaty of Easton in 1758. Yeah, the, the Treaty of Easton was a conference of the, of the tribes, um, representatives of the British Crown, the Colony of Pennsylvania, uh, the Governor of New Jersey, and uh, the eastern and western branches of Lenape, uh, the Iroquois League, and a whole bunch of other Indian nations uh, to try to settle on a peace. Now, there'd been preliminary uh, peace attempts uh, in 1756 and 1757 um, because, of course, what the Lenape wanted, uh, as well as uh, secure right to their lands in the eyes of the English colonial governments uh, and Great Britain was to get out from underneath the dominance of the Iroquois League. And um, the Pennsylvania and New Jersey governments, of course, wanted the fighting to stop. The British Crown wanted a secure frontier in Pennsylvania so that they could 
mount uh, another expedition uh, against Fort Duquesne. Um, Braddock had tried in 1755 to recapture uh, the fort at the uh, Forks of the Ohio, as it was called, uh, where today present-day Pittsburgh is, but had failed disastrously in the first big uh, battle of the Seven Years' War, the Battle of the Monongahela. Uh, after um, several days of negotiation, um, the eastern and the western branches of the Lenape renounced their alliance with the French, uh, swore peace with the British, uh, gave up all of their land claims in New Jersey for a thousand um, Spanish uh, pieces of eight or eight reales, uh, a thousand Spanish reales, um, and guarantees that their land in western Pennsylvania and the Ohio country um, would be theirs forever. Now, uh, the Western Lenape also got a measure of independence from the Iroquois League. What the British got out of it was a route for General Forbes' expedition um, that counted on the peace of the Delawares um, and other um, associated tribes such as the Shawnee so that he could march his expedition out to Fort Duquesne and lacking Indian allies of their own at the moment, the French blew up Fort Duquesne and retreated, giving the Ohio country, uh, which is what the Seven Years' War was about, to the to the English and um, really marking one of the signals that the tide of war was turning um, against France and to Great Britain. Unfortunately, peace was uh, just as disastrous for the Lenape um, as the pressures of the war had been. Uh, in part because one of the things that Forbes did in mounting the expedition against Fort Duquesne was to build a road um, out from eastern Pennsylvania out into the Ohio country, out to what Forbes named Fort Pitt, uh, site of present-day Pittsburgh. And that road, together with the peace, meant that uh, a flood of settlers um, after 1758, even while the Seven Years' War is still going on, start pouring into the Ohio country. And, of course, the Lenape, having just been guaranteed this land, quickly see it vanishing as uh, British settlers uh, start moving in in large numbers, um, hunting, the, hunting the game, uh, cutting down the, the trees, and essentially turning uh, the Lenape homeland into 
uh, an extension of the Pennsylvania colony and recreating all the conditions that the uh, Lenape had tried, had, had just been fighting to try to avoid. And so with that, um, with that settlement also come other factors. Uh, the British commander-in-chief in North America by the end of the war is Lord Geoffrey Amherst. And Amherst um, had a singular hatred for native populations. He was scornful of the Indians, um, and his policies treated all Indian tribes, no matter what their status at the end of the war, as if they were conquered adversaries. Um, he, had, he or British um, agents had promised uh, the tribes that uh, the occupation of western forts uh, from the Great Lakes on south was simply a wartime measure to aid in the fight against the French, and that those would be abandoned at the end of the war. But Amherst uh, keeps garrisons in those forts. Um, he also um, refuses to trade guns and powder uh, to the Indians, limits the number of traders of any type, and in general, really provokes the Indians because, of course, having used firearms for nearly a century, Indians had not trained in the use of the bow and arrow uh, in most cases because they depended on firearms. And so cutting them off from guns, powder, and lead means that the Lenape also have less wherewithal to get the furs that are so important. In fact, um, the control of the Ohio country was seen by both Britain and France before the Seven Years' War as vital because of the resources of furs that it contained, uh, as well as its strategic position. Um, and therefore, Amherst's policies really provoke the Lenape, together with uh, the increased settlement in the land that they thought they'd secured by the Treaty of Easton, um, to thoughts uh, of war. And those are only increased by um, a millennial or a religious movement uh, among the Lenape headed by the Delaware prophet uh, Neolin. What role did the Lenape play in rousing the insurrection that we often call Pontiac's Rebellion? Well, um, the the influence of Neolin um, is really important. Um, he's one of a number of 
prophets uh, among the Indian nations uh, and the best known of them who emphasizes um, spiritual cleansing, um, giving up uh, temptations of European culture such as European clothing and most importantly alcohol um, along with regeneration of native traditions um, such as he's against the practice that had started to spring up of polygamy. Now, whether giving up um, European trappings also includes giving up firearms, um, that seems to have been an eventual part of Neilan's message, but certainly he recognized how important firearms were to defeating um, American settlers and the British Army. Pontiac's Rebellion gets its name from Pontiac because he leads the biggest um, siege of the of the war. He uh, and his allies besiege um, Fort Detroit in a European-style encirclement uh, and and siege to try to force. Um, both the fall of Fort Detroit and to eliminate British presence in the Great Lakes region. But he's only the only one of a number of um, uprisings or loosely coordinated uh, stealth attacks, um, famously at Fort Mitchell and Mackinac, um, the uh, Chippewa and uh, the Ojibwe used uh, lacrosse uh, as a distraction uh, to uh, get into the fort at one point uh, after uh, a few weeks uh, of games that the garrison uh, of the fort uh, started betting on and, and watching. Uh, someone threw a ball through the uh, open gates of the fort, and all the players uh, poured in, and then uh, Indian women produced uh, hatchets and knives from under their robes and some cut-down uh, guns, and they proceeded to massacre uh, the garrison. Um, about uh, nine different forts of varying size fell, and the biggest part that the Lenape played um, in this in this war, aside from really having instigated it, uh, Pontiac was, after all, a disciple of Neelan's by his own uh, orations and account. The biggest part that the Lenape played during the war was laying siege in the summer of 1763 to Fort Pitt itself and cutting that off. Um, from uh, aid, as well as attacking um, settlers in the in the Wyoming Valley um, and in central Pennsylvania. Um, so the the siege came fairly close to 
taking Fort Pitt, and it also gave rise to one of the most infamous incidents of the, of the war where um, Jeffrey Amherst suggested to uh, Henry Bouquet, uh, his uh, subordinate, and to Captain Simer, Simon Ecoyer, who was in command at Fort Pitt, um, he said, uh, could it not be contrived to send the smallpox among those disaffected tribes of Indians? We must on this occasion use every stratagem in our power to reduce them. Um, in, in fact, uh, Captain Acquire had already met um, with two Lenape chieftains um, and had given them a parting present of uh, two blankets and a handkerchief. Now, he'd gotten these two blankets and a handkerchief out of the smallpox hospital where smallpox was already uh, raging at Fort Pitt. And, you know, while it's kind of hard to blame uh, Captain Acquire too much, he's cut off, and for all he knows, uh, his fort is the last fort in the colonial west to remain in British hands and uh, all accounts that he's heard are of massacres of other garrisons it is certainly um, a it's certainly a sign of Amherst's um, disdain for the native populations and his willingness to do to them what he probably would have been unwilling to do against any European foe. Use germ warfare against them. How did Pontiac's rebellion end? Well, what it means for the greater revolutionary story actually has um, to do with events in London and in upstate New York. Um, the Indian agent, His Majesty's uh, Commissioner or Chief Agent for Indian Affairs in the Northern Colonies, Sir William Johnson, uh, who's a fascinating figure in his own right, um, is in part fascinating because he was an adopted member of uh, the Iroquois League. Um, so he comes from Ireland, penniless, manages to parlay an introduction via letter to a wealthy uncle into uh, a half million acres uh, in upstate New York, uh, full membership in the Mohawk tribe, and um, for his service in the Seven Years' War, a baronetcy. Uh, so he's, he wants to both preserve English power and cut English expenses, but he also wants to protect primarily his um, people, uh, the Six Nations. And so he convinces uh, the Crown and George III to draw a line uh, to create a massive Western reserve for the Indian nations to 
block off um, European colonial settlement into the lands west of the Appalachian Mountains. So this proclamation of 1763 is a a measure designed to create a buffer zone um, to try to reduce conflict between the British crown and um, its erstwhile Indian allies and to try to reduce the expense of conflict of war uh, because Pontiac's war drags out um, through 1765 in uh, a stalemate and uh, desultory series of raids and skirmishes. Um, Although most uh, accounts point to the Battle of Bushy Run, where uh, Henry Bouquet uh, defeats uh, a coalition of Lenapes, uh Shawnees, Mingos, uh, Ottawas, and Miamis, um, and is able to relieve uh, Fort Pitt, it doesn't mean that, that the war is over, and the British Crown is hemorrhaging money. And so the proclamation of 1763 is an attempt to placate the tribes, to assure them that the government in London uh, will be the protector of all of the peoples of the eastern woodlands, um, both English colonists uh, captured French uh, possessions and natives alike. Now, this is really important uh, because it's the first overt sign of tensions between the Crown and the American colonists. From the colonial point of view, um, they've just spent... um, tens if not hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, collectively to help to drive out the French um, and they they want the fruits of victory. There's a great land hunger uh, in many of the settlements. Uh, George Washington, for example, uh, has received 50,000 acres in western Virginia from the Virginia legislature uh, as thanks for his services from 1754 through 1758. Uh, And now most of that land is unsaleable because no colonists can legally settle on it and take title. Uh, So the Proclamation of 1763, um, together with uh, the decision in the wake of Pontiac's War to keep British troops stationed in the American colonies in numbers far higher than they had ever been before the Seven Years' War, 
prompts and sows the seeds of that discord that um, breaks out into full-scale war in April of 1775. What place should the Lenape hold in the way we study the revolutionary era? Um, But the Lenape and Native Native Americans as a whole. Um, now, you know, the term Native American is just as as fraught with problems as the term American Indians. Um, but, you know, historians use, use both of those uh, as well as, you know, indigenous people or first peoples. But recent, recently, um, there's been a big reappraisal of the role that the Eastern Woodlands tribes in particular, including the Lenape, play in the genesis of the American Revolution, um, in uh, the course of the war, and in the aftermath. Um, While I'm not an expert in that particular subject of the Lenape during the Revolution, I do know that at one point there was a proposal to create a 14th state, this one, a Lenape one, out in Ohio. Um, And um, the negotiations between the Delaware chieftain White Eyes and the Continental Congress uh, were proceeding until uh, White Eyes died suddenly, either of smallpox um, or... Um, more likely um, being murdered by colonial militia uh, in the in eastern Ohio. So the traditional picture of the American Revolution as a an affair between uh, colonial patriots and uh, British uh, imperial soldiers is, to put it mildly, uh, at best, really incomplete. And the Indian peoples of the Eastern Woodlands play a large role uh, on both sides in the conflict. Um, And the more uh, historians focus on that role and the importance, the the more complete uh, picture can emerge. Kevin Kahn, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.